This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, it's good to be with all of you again this week. And uh, some of you probably heard uh, uh, just recently, I did a podcast interview with a friend of mine, Robert Wolgamuth, who had a great new book that came out uh, on the gun lap. Uh, and, uh, but I want to come back with him because he is such a wealth of information uh, as a literary agent. Uh, he's my literary agent. He's my father's agent and has served us well for a number of years. And uh, I just have so many people that will approach me and say, Richard, I've always, I've had this book idea for years, or I've written this book, but uh, how do I get a publisher to even look at it? Uh, Or is that even realistic? Should I even bother wasting my time? And I get, seriously, I don't know if I go maybe a, a week without someone reaching out to me to say, Hey, any ideas or help on this? I'm a pastor. I've, I've put this into a book, but don't, don't know what to do next. And, uh, and so I thought Robert uh, would be a great person just to give some high-level counsel. And I, I just want to brag on Robert for a second just to say Robert is a high-end literary agent. <laughs> you, you, if we were to list his, uh, his uh, clients, it's just sort of a who's who of uh, Christian publishing. So, so Robert has been uh, with some of the very top-name uh, Christian authors in particular uh, for decades now and so he he's he knows the field and so robert i want to first of all just welcome you back and say thank you for giving us some time to let us pick your brains on writing and publishing well picking my brain ought to be a real delightful experience (laughs) i can't wait to see what that looks like well robert (laughs) you've been give us just a quick kind of uh, survey of in, for your literary uh, experience, your your experience in publishing. Just uh, some of us, some folks would have heard some of that uh, when you were on the podcast before. But in terms of publishing and your, your experience in that business, give us kind of a, a synopsis yeah, of what sure. you've done. Sure, uh, I really wasn't aware of what the publishing business was years ago. I thought the printing business was the publishing business, but that's very different. Thing. I mean, printing is the mechanics of turning a, a, a document into a, a bound book, you know, printing presses. The publishing business is really what leads up to that. Um, and, and I have been in the publishing business for 40 years, and I've loved it. It is one of the most competitive businesses you can imagine. Hmm. So just picture the fact, in fact, Again, 40 years doing this business or in this business, probably 40 years ago, uh, in all kinds of genres, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, uh, New York published, Christian published, whatever, there may have been 5,000 books published 40 years ago. Last year, 1 million books were published. In one year. I said 1 million books in one year. Wow. I'm not talking about copies. I'm talking about different (laughs) titles. Wow. So you talk about trying to find shelf space. The biggest bookstore in the world may take 4,000 new titles a year. Maybe. That would be, that's a huge bookstore. Hmm. So if you got a million to choose from, that makes it a very competitive thing. Hmm. Now we got Amazon. People love Amazon and people hate Amazon. If you're in the retail business, you hate Amazon. The, 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 the word makes your skin crawl hmm. because it used to be you walk into a bookstore 
and you said, do you have a copy of, in your name, a book? The guy goes to his microfiche and then eventually to his, his computer, says, yeah, we, we had a couple copies, but we reordered it, come back in a week and maybe I'll have it. Versus you order a book on Amazon, tomorrow it's at your front door. I dare you to compete with that. Yeah. So Amazon sells about 65% of the books that are sold in the world. Uh, they are the big dog. And you can, you can see what, where your book falls. They have about 5 million titles that you can buy on Amazon. And you can look at any time you want on your ranking in that 5 million, uh, that million, 5 million titles. So if, if you're in the top 10,000, that's incredible. Think about it. Mm-hmm. If you're in the top 1,000, that's tall cotton, like people used to say in this house. So um, it's a very, my point is it's a very competitive business. And it's a very challenging thing to write. Yeah. Lots and lots of people, like you say, I've always wanted to be a writer. Yeah, I've, I would. And then you sit down and you start pounding out a manuscript and it's 60,000 or 80,000 words. And you're thinking to yourself, this is a lot of work. <laughs> so a lot more people want to publish, want to write than actually do it. So you add those two things together, very competitive business and it's hard work to do it. So a lot of people are dis- discouraged once they start down this road. But I wouldn't want to discourage people who really have something to say. We can talk about. Yeah. That. And, you know, I, I, you know, Robert, I might add too, uh, the, the, the uh, in large part because of Amazon, the traditional publishers, their, their margins have shrunk dramatically. You know, it used to be a publisher would give you an advance and they would have a certain amount of marketing budget for your book and so on. And now, publishers are having such a hard time just breaking even or making a bit of profit on a book That's right. that it they're they're driven uh, quite honestly um and, and you know this there there are some people who've written some outstanding books but they're not famous and nobody's going to buy their book and so they they'll crank out the 40 right. 45th uh <laughs> book by a well-known person that they know that and it, it may be a tenth as good as uh, this book by this unknown person but it, it, so much of it now is driven by the numbers. Uh, will people yeah. buy this book? And right. if they don't pick up your book, it doesn't matter how brilliantly it's written. Uh, yeah. Somehow it's got to get out there. And so publishers, are they struggle as well because it's, it, it's going to be a financial decision. You, you can tell them in tears about how God gave you this message and it, everyone who's ever read this book just loves it. Uh, but the publisher is saying, and how many friends do you have? And how many copies will your mother buy? And we, we've got a, we, we've got a formula we've got to, to work out here. And so it, in, in one sense, and we must get all the, the bad news out right off the bat here. Robert. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's difficult these days. But, but on the other hand, let's say that there's a person that does have this, um, this message that, is burning within their soul and they every time they share this at their church group or at work but people are truly blessed by it and and many many people have said you need to get this in a book and so here's a person and i and i would also say i've been around pastors i've been around ceos that have spent decades in successful uh, leadership roles they've learned all kinds of things they're very wise they have a lot of great experiences and, and their experiences, their wisdom truly would be a blessing to many people if, right. if they could find it between the pages of, in the pages of a book. 
And so if, if one of our listeners, um, uh, and, and Rob, you and I both have helped a number of people who did have a great message, but needed help putting it into a book. Uh, yeah. And we've seen those published and we've seen them help people. And so what would your advice be? You, you, maybe you, you, you talk to someone and you have a sense, hey, th- there is a really good message here. And I've never seen anything quite like that out in all those million books that are published a year or written a year. Um, what would your counsel be to someone that does seem to have a message that it would be helpful if it ever found its way to being published? Well, I, I wish you and I had uh, like three hours and I wish everybody was t- we were talking to was in the room where we could see their faces. The first thing that I would say is probably not what you want to hear, but whatever you can do to build a platform, do it. Mm-hmm. Now, you might be the pastor of a big church. Let's say your church has a thousand people in it, or let's say you, you run a company and you got 3000 employees, a thousand, 3000, those are small numbers in this business. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a woman, a, a, the wife of a, a farmer in Northern Canada who built uh, a social media network through a podcast. This is 15 years ago. And her podcast included, it was really written. So it was, it was really only writing. It wasn't uh, audio or video. And so she built an audience, people listening, my primarily women, reading her, her uh, weekly or so posts. And so she decided to write a book, and it went to number one New York Times, number one Amazon, and nobody had ever met her. Hmm. I'm not kidding. Hmm. She, she didn't travel. She didn't speak publicly. Hmm. What she had was a massive social media platform. Hmm. So... The first question a publisher is going to ask, and it shouldn't be the first question, but it is, describe your platform. Mm -hmm. And if you have an idea, if you're listening to us and you have an idea for a book, again, I wish this wasn't true. I really do. But talk to talk to some 11 year old who understands Facebook and Twitter (laughs) and 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 Snapchat and all of these platforms and begin to build an audience of people who follow you, uh, write, um, four or 500 word blogs and, and find a venue to post them. And, and people love people who have established blogs, love having guest bloggers. Hmm. That's, you can ride on somebody else's truck to do that, to begin to build your platform. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I hate the fact that I'm saying this first is, and you know, this is true. You've just indicated there are people with the message whose message should be heard and it never will because they don't have a platform. Yeah. And I always say, okay, so what was Spurgeon's platform? Describe that the way he had a church. So what was Lewis's platform? Well, he was a thinker and had friends in high places, but he didn't have, he didn't have Facebook. He didn't have Twitter. He didn't have social media. So the reason why their stuff sold and still sells because they had something to say. Mm-hmm. Today, you have to have a platform. It's ab- it's absolutely a must. And I'm in the business of getting proposals in front of publishers. And and I think my company does a great job of creating creative, winsome, uh, thorough, uh, informational proposals. 
But the first thing the publisher looks at is the platform. Yeah. How many people follow this guy or this woman? Yeah. So that's that's tragic, but that's the truth. So build a platform and then have something to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and don't go to the library to come up with something to say. The ethos of your own experience, your own walk with Christ, what he's teaching you. In fact, in the beginning of Gunlap, the book Gunlap, I talk about a conversation I had with Tim LaHaye who was a good friend, and I published him and loved him, loved his heart for the Lord and for culture. And he said to me something I've repeated, I think, 500 times, maybe more, that a book is a long letter to one person. Hmm. So if you're intimidated by writing, think of this being a 50,000-word letter to somebody that you know. So when you're reading, reading along and the writer says, some of you or many of you, he had a bad editor. Because many of you don't read the book. You read it one at a time. So speak in second person. You speak in first person. Me. My own story. Just tell me, let, me, let me tell you the story about a man who walked up to me one time in the parking lot of the church and said the following. It's like when you preach, Richard. So you're, you're waxing eloquent. You're expositing the word like a, ch- like a champ. And people are taking notes and whatever. They're looking down and you say, last week, my son and I were in the car we were talking and every face looks at you mm-hmm. they want stories they want illustrations so your book has to be filled with stories like what does this look like in real life it's a long letter to one person and it's filled with stories mm-hmm. so now you have to be able to write and there are a lot of people who know how to write and some people who don't my favorite illustration about writing is writing's really painting it's not writing mm-hmm. show me don't tell me show me don't tell me show me don't tell me so uh, I've, I've worked, in fact, I was on the phone today with one of the world's renowned collaborators. His skill is writing in other people's voices. Hmm. So I was on the phone with this collaborator, we call them writers, and an author that I've worked with for 40 years. And we're going to put them together to write a book. Hmm. And so the, this author who's written some books said, so what's the benefit of a writer? Come alongside? And I say, here's the deal. You're telling a story, and the people who are reading it want to picture it. So tell me what kind of shirt you were wearing. Tell me the color, uh, you know, uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm preaching on the street corner, and I've got this bright yellow shirt on. I can see that, mm-hmm. and I want to know that. So now I'm preaching. Can you hear my voice? I'm excited <laughs> about this because so many people miss this stuff. Mm-hmm. and they, they don't realize here's the magic of a book. And you know this is true because you're an author. When somebody comes up to you and says, I started reading your book, and how do they finish the sentence? I couldn't put it down. Hmm. You might be in a public place, but you're going to kiss that person right on the face for <laughs> having said that, because that's what you're looking for. You're yeah. looking for the kind of writing that challenges people to lay it down. Hmm. The truth is my library is full of books with a boarding pass about 50 pages in, and I'm never going back to it because it's a waste of my time. <laughs> You, you don't feel bad about laying a book down. You feel bad because you spent money on it. You don't feel bad. So let's say I'm in the audience and you're preaching. You're standing at the pulpit and you're preaching. And you're actually boring. I'm, I'm not enjoying this. I've already planned my day out. But you'd have to be really bad for me to get up and walk out. Hmm. The challenge of writing is speaking on drugs. If you're, not, if you're not daring the people to lay the book down and not finish reading it, and you need to keep working on it until you hone your craft, until your writing is picturesque like that. It's like watching a, or seeing a beautiful painting. So 
It's hard work. You can do it. And they're wonderful resources. Jerry Jenkins, who is also one of my closest friends, all he's done is sold 72 million books. Yeah. Well, you- and he's and he's and he's a painter. He's not a writer. He's a painter. So when you read a Jerry Jen- Jenkins novel, you can see it. You can experience it. In fact, I was having lunch with Jerry one time and he was in the middle of a, of writing a novel. And he said, I got to get back to my hotel room and keep writing. And I said, so what are you going to write about? He said, I have no idea. I, I have to start writing to figure out what's going to happen in the plot. And I thought, <laughs> that is so cool. Huh. You know, you're so involved in the story. You're painting a picture for your readers and you can't wait. So you, you're unpacking the story like your readers are unpacking the story, story as they read it page after page. Mm. So this is you asked you asked me for a you asked me a simple question. I gave you a pageant, but I feel really passionate about this because I I believe like you, there are people with with something really important to say, but they're not um, disciplined enough to hone their craft. They think if they get the words on a page and it's good material, people ought to read it. No, they're not. And unless you're a student in college and your professor told you you had to read it, people don't have to read your stuff. Yeah. And I, you know, I've so had a what lot you of, want to do is com- you want to compel them to read. And I've had a lot of people that have said, you know, I've thought about writing a book and they can they could make it sound sort of flippant. Like, you know, I had a, just looking for a free weekend uh, and anyone who's ever written knows that that is it's a it, well churchill had a great quote about that as like you know oh yes he did and a, it ultimately yeah. becoming a monster that you you barely slay you, with your you last fling, breath you, you, you fling <laughs> yeah you fling out oh yeah uh, but uh uh but i've said to people sometimes you will have a message but you for whatever reason you may not be the person i mean you just may not have the the, the writing skills to put that on paper and i've i've actually sent people uh even to you that at least in one case, a brilliant, brilliant person, but uh, English wasn't his first language. And, uh, and so he was always struggling to try to put that into, uh, you know, really flowing, easy to read English. And, uh, and so a lot was lost from his message. And so there are people that can, can truly grasp your message and help you put it into words that uh, communicate. And, and of course, uh, you know, a, a, a phrase that I have uh, had a lot of experience with is you know the phrase that there's there's no such thing as good writing just good editing and uh and 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 i've had uh you know i my my approach usually is fling stuff down i mean as it's in your head get it on paper type it up so it's there and then go over and over and over and over uh editing cleaning up take another run at it uh, let other people read it uh, and, and uh, give you feedback and then go back again. Um, and, you know, I found now, Robert, I just, I, I think even just in certainly in the last 40 years in your experience, writing has, has changed. I, I find that, for instance, sentences are getting shorter. Uh, chapters are getting shorter. You know, you might, you, you might've had a 20, 25 page uh, chapter back in the day. And now you got five, six-page chapters, that's and and uh, that's it. And the sentences, the words, they're they're moving, they're flowing. You you don't ever get too bogged down in one chapter, you know, uh, before you're you sort of come up for air and you you have a fresh sort of take in the next chapter. Uh, so there's there's a lot to it today. To for and and certainly I think because of the way people re- are reading now, they're not reading thousand-page biographies uh and so 
you, you, even the way people read, you've got to adjust to that. With Now they're reading blogs, and so you want them to That's read right. a 220-page book. Uh, you're going to have to write it in a way that someone that's yeah. used to reading blogs and computer screen length uh, articles will sit there and, and not put down your 200-page book. That's right. That's right. Well, from my own experience, I spend more time outlining the book than I spend writing it. Hmm. Um, so I'm working on my next book, and I, I outline on a, on a spreadsheet. I have an Excel spreadsheet. And before I start writing, I know exactly where I'm going to go. I know the illustrations and the stories I'm going to tell, you, going to tell in each chapter. So I outline it, then I write it. And then, to your point, I spend more time editing than both of those combined. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, every word. I mean, this... This is not an exaggeration. It may be a little bit, but almost every single word, especially verbs, you can tell a new writer because they use adjectives and not verbs. <laughs> use great verbs. And you can only use a great verb once in a whole book. Yeah. I, I keep a l running list on my cell phone of great verbs. I can read it to you right now. <laughs> and you know, they're, they're mostly ripped off from other people. <laughs> but I'm saying that's, that's great writing. Yeah. And that's the discipline, really, of saying this is not glamorous at all. This is hard work. Yeah, and you know, I love—I I mean, I love uh, Churchill, and he—I I love some of his writing. But you know, it's interesting because he had some words that he—he would say it once, and you'd it, you, like he like he loves the word sagacious, and he would say he would. But <laughs> that's a great but, word. But you can only use that. I mean, he would use it several times. In I mean, he'd write fairly long books, but. It's like some books, some words you can only get away with once or twice in a whole book, and then you start noticing. You know, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to work at that. But, um, but I, I uh, you know, I, I love books though that, um, that that they'll throw some words out there and they'll use them well. And I'll be, I'll be challenged to get a dictionary or look it up. Yeah. Uh, uh, but on the other hand, and my wife is has been a lifelong editor for me, uh, Lisa, but. If she's reading a book and there's two or three just blatant typos, things that got missed, she she really struggles to keep reading. She just she loses all respect for and the guy may be a genius, but just not edited well. And you start to just I don't know, you, you can lose some of your uh, esteem for the writer when you and it may not have been his fault at all. It might have been he just didn't have a good editor that was doing the work afterward. Um, but but little details can make all the difference whether someone gets frustrated with your book or they, they hold on to it till they're finished. Well, in the Lord's providence, he gave us dads who were godly better than we deserve. And he gave us wives who are identical. <laughs> and I think we need to, right now we need to make a pact with each other. We keep Lisa and Nancy away from each other. <laughs> they will be totally dangerous. Yeah, that, that, Nancy, Nancy will spot a typo on a billboard doing 80 miles an hour down, <laughs> down, the, down the freeway. So she is just like Lisa. Yeah. yeah. She said to me yesterday, if I was a publisher and somebody sent me a proposal for a book and there was an apostrophe before the S rather than after the S, I wouldn't publish it. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I well, we I, I remember uh, a book that uh, was was published, uh, and and Ed, it was a a devotional book that we uh, my dad and I wrote that actually won some awards. Was uh, very, still a very very popular book, but but the editor would would go through and edit about twenty five to fifty of them at a time, and then he would send them to us and show us his suggested changes. And I mean, right. he 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 was an excellent editor. 
And my and my wife would get those. She'd print them off, and she would get a cup of coffee and sit down in the living room in a comfortable <laughs> chair. And she was like, I think she was like in love with this guy. Like she just loved to watch what a good editor could do and how right. he could take a seven-word sentence and transform it into a four-word sentence that was much more energetic and crisp and she and i just keep hearing her saying oh he's good oh oh that's that's what that's amazing and she just loved what a person could do with words um and and you when you read a book where you see that someone has really taken the time to just craft their words carefully uh that makes that's a huge um that just a huge gift, I think, to the reader. Yes, that, it is. And, yes, uh, it is. And you know, that I, I'm a big, I'm big on stories, and you're right. I think uh, people want stories, but but there is a, a a gift to that. You know, you can you can also put unnecessary details into your story, and yes, you it, and it begins to bog down and get slow, and it's dragged out, and you're ready for some resolution here, and you're still getting you know the, all the the hair color and what kind of bows and ribbons they had in their hair at the time. And you're at this point, you just want to know who shot the person, you know, <laughs> but, but, uh, <laughs> sure. uh, but, uh, yeah, the skill and saying what, what matters here, what doesn't, but well, so just Robert, if some guy, person just has a manuscript, you, your, your, your advice first is, uh, get a platform, um, write blogs, get, gets a, a, a growing uh, number of people that appreciate your style, what you have to say, uh, and then, of course, have a message. And that, and you know, that's my dad's. That's experiencing God. My dad had so true. My dad had no social media to this day. Doesn't know how to send an email, but uh, but he had he had a message that just burst through the seams and wow. and just took over. Wow. Uh, and uh, and so whenever I think about someone with a message, that's you know, you you have to have that. Um, I, I know some people have some really well marketed shallow books that don't really say anything, but they're they're marketed well. Uh, you want to have a good message, but uh, but then after that, uh, but let me just ask you just for uh, wh- why would you have a literary agent? Because I think a lot of people look at that, they don't uh, you know, they're not sure what the value or wh- why you would do that. And of course, there's all levels. You you work at pretty high end, uh, author stable, but uh, there's there's agents at all kinds of levels that can work with brand new authors that are just writing their first book right, as well. Right. But the, the answer to the question is the same reason why you'd have a realtor sell your home. Hmm. You can put for sale by owner on your front yard and hope that the Cars going back and forth include somebody who's looking for a house. Or you can go to a qualified realtor, and instead of having just the traffic in front of your house, you have tens of thousands of people looking at your home. Now, you're not going to have tens of thousands of publishers looking at your work, but what, a, what, a, what a, an agent does is it, it help, they help you understand what people are looking for and then how to market your story. Mm-hmm. So now... The truth is, I'm not looking for clients. So this is very easy for me to say because, I mean, literally, we aren't looking for clients. The Lord has blessed us with plenty of business. That sounds awful. I don't mean to be disrespectful. But uh, there are agents who are looking for clients, and you can find them online. The other thing I would do, Richard, is, in fact, I sent you a link to a document, a PDF, called Writing a Winning Nonfiction Book Proposal. Uh, and I, I don't know if, if your your listeners, if you can, you know, the technology exists, you can post that so they can access it. This this has Michael Hyatt's name on it. Yeah. And Mike, 
was my business partner for 16 years, one of my closest friends. I'm ticked off at him because he doesn't give me any credit whatsoever for this document. And that's totally fine. Who said, Zig Ziglar said, I think, I think it was him, who said, you can get anywhere you want if you don't care who gets the credit. Yeah. So and that may have been Groucho Marx. I don't know. So, but that's, that's what you need. Yeah, Publishers and, throw away unsolicited manuscripts. Yeah. Throw them away. Well, and, and recycled. He, and Hyatt wrote the book Platform as well, which is a, which is a helpful book also. He did. Yes, he did. Yeah. Right. So those two documents, yeah. his platform book and this, uh, how to write a nonfiction book proposal that you have access to now. I just sent you the link. If that would be helpful to sure, you. We'll sure. We'll post that. Yeah, on you the have podcast. to have that. Good. You have to have that. And I, you know, I, Rob, you've been there too. I've, I've been in uh, publishers offices and seen literally stacks of ma- unsolicited manuscripts just right. sent in right. uh, sitting on the floor and that they're, they're, they're towering over their desk and, and they're, <laughs> and they've got full schedules all day long. And it's like in right. my spare time, I'm trying to maybe glance at some of these manuscripts and so, yeah, but when you have an agent who forwards that to right. a publisher and that agent has a relationship, he, he, you know, he's known for presenting quality material. He gets a, he gets a listening ear. He, he gives you a hearing. Um, and, uh, and also some of those, uh, contracts can be pretty confusing. Uh, you know, my dad in the early years, just, uh, before he had you just, just said, show me where to sign. And he signed away all kinds of stuff he shouldn't have. <laughs> and it took us years to back that out and fix it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're just so glad to have someone want to publish our stuff that you agree to things that are kind of standard fare and, and some contracts that just you guys would just routinely just cross out and say, you don't need to agree yeah. to that. You're, you're giving right. away the farm for no reason. But um, yeah. and so, you know, I, I, I think for those listening, if this is a, I mean, we could, you're right. We could talk for hours about, uh, the whole publishing writing, uh, industry, but I, I think even with a million books a year coming out, uh, you may have a book and don't, you know, it's great if you can have a best selling book out there that, uh, you know, millions of people are reading, but there, there's some, I've got a colleague who wrote a book basically for his family. And he just said, I want my grandkids and great grandkids to, have this book on their shelf that they can read at some point as adults and know where they came from and what, what our journey was like. And uh, you can give it to colleagues, whatever, you know, you don't have to go get that published by a publisher, but, but you still captured some of your story. And, uh, and some people, when they start writing their story, they're going to realize, you know, I think this would benefit a lot more than just my grandkids. Um, and part of that, just let God show you. I, maybe the last thing I'd say, Robert, is if, if you think you have a story worth writing about field test it and go share it somewhere and and that's what experiencing god was my dad was just going around teaching experiencing god and the, and publishers were chasing him down saying please put this on on paper this is excellent he was too busy teaching it um to to, to write it for the longest time but when you feel i think that's why it was so powerful it because he'd field tested that he knew every time he made certain statements the whole room just kind of came apart and people were just like desperate to like yep. have him say more yep. and right. so i mean we knew full well yeah. that if he ever put that stuff on paper people would love it because we'd watch them loving it for years when he said it so you know if you're ever wondering i don't i, I i've got these ideas i don't know if they're very good first thing i always say is we'll go speak about it somewhere and uh, or put a blog about it and see what kind of feedback. And if, if there's just crickets out there, it's probably not as insightful <laughs> of an idea as you thought it was. But, uh, yeah. uh, but Robert, any last advice you might have just people, 
thinking about that they've got this book idea any last sort of practical advice maybe to, to give them well uh i don't know the faith journey of the folks who are listening to our voices but what i would say from my own experience is pray like crazy about this um you don't want to waste your time you don't want to waste the valuable time of your friends and readers and so forth unless it's a message that's important Mm-hmm. And that's you told the story of experiencing God that I, that's actually a classic story of what we're talking about here. Yeah. Don't just write on assignment, write about what God is saying to you, write about your own experience of failure and victory and success and trouble <clears throat> and and brokenness and healing and redemption and all those things that people really care about that have life changing impact. So I don't want to discourage people and. I actually have helped people publish their own story, just like you've described. No commercial value, but their children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren will be, will be able to read their story. So that's not unusual at all. So that's a good idea um, to get that recorded uh, just for posterity's sake, because, in fact, I just learned that I'm about to become a great-grandfather. Mm-hmm. The chance that this little boy will really know me are slim and none. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds horrible, but it's true. So wh- why, why wouldn't I jot some things down? Just by way of encouraging him, giving him a shot of the DNA that he's coming out of, hmm. and encourage him in the, in the Lord. You know, that's, that's universal. That's timeless. The yeah. principles that are in Scripture, understanding God, realizing the power of the Holy Spirit, embracing the gospel, all those things don't change generation to generation. That's hmm. what I would encourage guys to do. Well, thank you, Robert. Lots of words of wisdom. And uh, for those listening, um, if God has given you a message, uh, it may be a New York Times bestseller one day or might be something that blesses your grandkids and convinces them to keep following Jesus. But uh, either way, uh, if you follow through to the extent that uh, the Lord leads you to. And not everybody's yep. meant to be a, a, an author, but, uh, but, but if you've got something that every time you share, it really encourages folks and blesses them. Uh, take a look at that, uh, because uh, quite frankly, the world needs more positive messages today. And so yep. if you've got one, yep. you add it to the mix and just add a bit more light uh, to yep. the darkness that pervades. My favorite story about this is your daddy's story. He was faithfully preaching the word week after week, month after month, year, year after year. The last thing he ever thought was that he would sell millions of copies of what he was preaching. He was just faithful, and the Lord blessed that. And yeah. that's my favorite part. You know, and, and uh, last thing to say on that, my dad was 55 years old when he wrote Experiencing God. Uh, your, the book uh, that you wrote, The Gun Lap, uh, he, his, wow. his best work was written uh, on his gun lap when he was already considered on the downward slope, if you will, of his career, <laughs> and he produced his best work. So don't ever yeah. think, uh, you know, you've, you've got a lifetime of experience, and that might be the best right. time to share the wisdom you've collected over the over a lifetime. So That's Robert, absolutely right. Well, thank you for sharing with us. Always a delight. And we'll have uh, links in the show notes uh, to the, the different documents that Robert mentioned. Uh, helpful stuff. And uh, we encourage you, if God's put something in your heart, uh, let him guide you and show you just how far you need to take that. But be a good steward of what God's put in your hands. It might bless generations to come if you handle it wisely. Oh, that's a great counsel. Thank you, Richard. 
Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.